Thanks, praise team. Kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. And some of you may not know, but Ben, ben Buckner is Will's brother. They are from Garden Chapel, and we've had the privilege of supporting them for all these years. And I am jealous. Aren't you? Our baptismal pool is so small compared to theirs. <laughs> and the kids are swimming in the background. I, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. So anyway... Um, and uh, as you pray, Mike uh, challenged you to pray for the next pastor. I encourage you to pray for the servant board also, because uh, we are in the process of replacing Mindy as our office assistant. And uh, at this moment, we have we have three viable candidates. All of them would do a great job, and uh, we need wisdom in that direction also. So uh, just kind of when you pray for the elders and the pastor. Uh, Pray for the office assistant also. The topic before us this morning is the command that probably is the most misunderstood command of all Ten Commandments. Because a lot of people have read this all their life and nothing wrong with that. Thou shalt not kill. And many have taken that and said, any taking of life is dead wrong no ifs, ands, or buts. It's a, just a, a statement that's flat out, it's wrong. The problem is that all words have a context. In reality, you could translate it, thou shalt not kill. It would, it's not a bad translation. But thou shalt not murder is more in line with exactly what the Bible is teaching when you see it in context. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, we're going to start pretty much from the beginning of the Bible and go to the end. And uh, if you think this is a little bit morbid and not a fun sermon to preach, you're 100% right. Because I'd rather not be preaching it either. Because anytime a life is on the line, whether it's uh, someone, capital punishment whether it's self-defense, whether it's abortion, whether it's suicide or euthanasia, uh, it doesn't matter. It's not a fun topic to talk about. But this morning, we're going to look in about a half an hour of what it says about thou shalt not murder. This is the first commandment that has to do with how do I treat my neighbor? First thing, you treat your neighbor good by letting them live. That's the first commandment that goes in this direction. In fact, is in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, it says this. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. A lot of times we think that love your neighbor as yourself comes from the New Testament. It does not. It's a quote from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. When, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love, love the Lord your God with everything you are and your neighbor is yourself. And it comes from here. So when we look at this, we have to understand context is absolutely important. I'm not an English major. Some of you actually paid attention in school, so you know English. I am very lousy at it because I could have cared less back then. But the, you shall not murder does not have a direct object. It doesn't say you shall not murder unborn babies or you shall not 
commit suicide, or murder yourself and commit suicide. It doesn't say anything like that. It is a broad, broad statement. It just simply says, you shall not commit murder. That's what it says. Some of you were brought up, and uh, I know my wife was brought up, that said a whole lot of different things than I'm going to say this morning, because uh, as we look at the Scripture, we have to let it say exactly what it says. The word murder or the word kill in New and Old Testament mean almost identical same things. Uh, and they, it does come out the same because it's quoted over and over again. But how do we know how to take this? It's always context. So as you look at it, this is a direct command. But we also know that God told them to go in and wipe out whole nations. He told them to... Carry out capital punishment. He also said that it was okay to have self-defense and all kinds of other things. There are a lot of people that do not like the Old Testament. They say the Old Testament is full of blood, guts, and gore. This is a God of vengeance and it's horrible. I totally agree. On the other hand, I would remind you that the most despicable thing that ever happened the most horrible thing that ever happened, the most unjust thing that ever happened, happened in the New Testament. A perfectly righteous man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, never committed a sin, never did, had a wrong thought, was crucified in the most horrible, horrendous way for us. So just kind of keep that in mind as you look at what we see this morning. As I mentioned many times before, the principles that are found in the, under the law were already in effect before the law was given on Mount Sinai. And while we do not live under the law, those principles still continue to us in the church. As we look at that, we're going to start back in the beginning where this whole thing starts. Because if you remember, God, the first mass... <laughs> Killing of people was God's doings, and he used what we would call natural phenomena. He saw that the intents of man were continually evil and said, that's it. I've had it with them. I'm going to wipe them all out, except for those that are willing to go on the ark. And that was eight people and two of each animal and seven of the others and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? God went in there and wiped everybody out. And when they landed again, this verse comes up. Because they had been so horrible, their attitude and their actions were so bad. He said, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. This is the first rule given to government. Why? We were created in the image of God. You don't mess with that. Man is valuable. You hear me talk about that every year when we talk about abortion and those kinds of things. The value of human life. And it's valuable because we were created in God's image. You're going to hear me say that over and over again. I hope you don't get tired of it. But you, when we look at this, the command is, if you're a murderer, you willfully, wantonly kill someone. You have, at that point, chosen to forfeit your own life. Why? Because 
this is a horrible thing? No, life's valuable. You don't have the right to take somebody else's life. And if you do, you have to know that your life is on the line. That's what God said. I didn't make that up. That's what it says, and that's where it starts. But continuing on, when we look at the command, thou shalt not murder, it is talking specifically about what we would call premeditated murder or first-degree murder in that direction, specifically. There's other things we'll talk about those. But how do I know that? Context. The very next chapter says, in Exodus chapter 21, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. Not, it, God didn't stutter. He said exactly what he wanted to say. If a man acts presumptuously toward his neighbor so as to kill him craftily, you are to take him even from my altar that he may die. The point is this. It's premeditated and it is planned. It's craftily. The person made a choice. This is not an accident. This is not something beyond your control. This is, you have chosen to do this. He says, there is no place of refuge. I'll come back to this verse later. But it says, it doesn't matter where he goes. You can run, but you can't hide. You can go where you think nobody can get you. They even went into the tabernacle, the temple, grabbed the whole of the horns of the altar, hoping that they wouldn't get taken away. Didn't work. Because God said, no. Man was created in my image. Life is valuable. You have no right to take someone else's life. Justice is not simply vengeance. In all cases, biblically, nothing ever happens without hard evidence, facts, testimony, before anyone can be held guilty of anything. The New Testament uses this principle when it talks about church discipline. Nobody is ever to be called before the, the church on the evidence of one person, the testimony of one person. By the way, a witness is a first-hand account. And if you think about it, most people don't murder somebody uh, with a whole crowd watching. Most of it's done in secret. Very difficult to convict somebody in this direction. In Numbers chapter 35, and I encourage you to read that because that chapter has a lot more than what I'm going to uh, talk about this morning. If anyone kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death at the evidence of, notice the word, witness says, plural, a minimum of two. But no person shall ever be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. That's a pretty high standard, folks, if you think about it. Because you, you cannot have somebody that is trying to get even or they got a grudge and they say, I saw him do that when they really didn't. They can lie about it. He said, no, you have to have at least two people who know exactly what happened, their firsthand testimonies. There's no secondhand here. Capital punishment is the only mandated punishment for someone who cre uh, has pr propagates first-degree murder or premeditated murder. He says here in Numbers 35 again, you shall not take any ransom for the life of a murderer. You can't buy your way out of it. 
There's no, not a fine, not imprisonment, none of those kinds of stuff. No, no. First degree murder, premeditated murder. There is a penalty. Life for life. We'll see that again in the future also. He'll surely be put to death. You're not to pollute the land in which you are. For blood pollutes the land and there's no expiation that can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it except by the blood of him who shed it. Folks, over this past year, the crime rate in some cities has gone through the roof. Blood has polluted those cities. It's polluted our land. Think about it. When we allow that kind of stuff to go on, people go, well, you know what? Uh, Just because uh, somebody uh, committed a murder and then you um, execute capital punishment on them, well, now there's two dead people. That's true. One of them is premeditated murder. The other is justice. And I'll guarantee you one thing, that person won't commit it again. Blood pollutes the land. And if you want to know the worst of all of them, you can take all the murders and take them times whatever you want. And the number of abortions of of unborn babies doesn't even come close to, I mean, it's so much more, I'm sorry, comes way more than that. We're a land that is polluted by blood. Abortion is not a miscarriage. It's not something that happens, and many women in this audience have had a miscarriage. That's not what we're talking about. That's beyond your control. This is wanton taking of a human life at whatever stage they are in life. The whole way to euthanasia. There is no escaping justice, as I already mentioned uh, before. You could not go anywhere. There was no getting away from justice. You couldn't claim, I'm spiritual. I'm holding on to the altar horns. You can't claim that. It is, no, you've committed murder. There's a penalty. Why? Created in the image of God, life is valuable. And if you take somebody else's valuable life, you forfeit your own. There is also protection because things happen beyond your control. There are accidents that actually happened. They're real accidents. We're going to talk about what happens if you're irresponsible also. But it says that if he did not lie in wait, that is, he didn't plan it ahead of time, uh, and, but God let him fall into his hand. We call that an act of God today. Then I will appoint for you a place to which he may flee. You're going to hear me say about cities of refuge several times over the next few minutes. I don't know know that I can tell you in exact of how this works. Here's what I see. I could be wrong. This one here, I'm going to just give myself some wiggle room. If you accidentally killed someone, you could go to the city of refuge. By the way, there were six of them ultimately. You could go there, and once you were inside the walls, an avenger of blood could not touch you. But don't go outside the walls. Because you're in trouble. You could go there. And even if you premeditatedly killed somebody, I believe you could go there. But it also makes it clear that there was a court set by the congregation to deal with that. And it wouldn't matter if you were in the city of refuge. They would still uh, carry out that, that death sentence. 
But the point is, there, were, there was provision made for accidents and for justice. Always understand this. Never vengeance, never grudges, never getting even, never any of those things. That is absolutely unbiblical. When we get into the New Testament, you'll see that even clearer. Again, he says that these cities of refuge are set up so that if you unintentionally kill your neighbor, you didn't do it because you're mad at him, but you could flee there so that you might live. How long can you live there? Well, it is really interesting because he says you select the cities of refuge. Like I said, there were six of them. And you could go there if you unintentionally killed someone. And those cities shall be to you as a refuge from the avenger. The avenger may be the lawyer trying to, or the district justice or whatever they might have called them back then. Or it could be somebody that just said, you killed my brother, I'm getting you. Like the old west or the wild west. Uh, don't recommend that, but um, I've watched a few Western movies and it seems like they were always doing that kind of stuff. But it says, so that the manslayer will not die until, until he stands before the congregation for trial. So it seems like, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you could go there. But it wasn't just a get out of jail free pass. There was still... You had to deal with the evidence and what was really true. It also goes further than that because it says that even if it was unintentional, for some reason, you were the cause of someone else dying. You would go to the city of refuge, and if it was unintentional, they would say, the court would say, the trial would say, it was unintentional. But you had to stay there if you wanted to make sure that nobody was going to get vengeance for you. That would have been wrong, but, but if they would. As long as you're inside the walls, nobody can touch you. But when the high priest dies, you go free. We would call that something like house arrest. I guess here you would call it city arrest. But you had to go one of those six cities. But when the high priest died, your sentence was commuted. It was come to an end. And you could go out and be free. Now I got to tell you, it doesn't quite sound like justice to me. Because if the, if the priest was an old guy and he dies a year or two later... It's not very long that you're incarcerated there. If the guy was a young guy and he lives for the next 20, 30 years, you might die there. I don't understand all, I told you, I don't understand all about the ref, cities of refuge because we don't have that kind of thing. But the point is, there was protection for accidental killing. One of the things that people really get uptight about the Old Testament, they're like, war, 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 and God is the one that demanded it. But there are some stipulations. There are actually rules of conduct for war. He says, if it's a city outside of the promised land, you'll notice I have that into two, two different things there from Deuteronomy chapter 20. If it's a city from the outside, not in the promised land, he said, and there's, there's a problem there. I don't know what the problem is. It doesn't tell us. It says, what you do is you don't just go in there and wipe, start wiping people out. That is not acceptable behavior for my people. You have to go and offer them terms of peace. 
You know, what, we, what can we do to get along? What can we do to, to remedy our situation, the beef we have between each other? Need to offer terms of peace. If they refuse, it says, then, and battle comes, you can strike all the men with the sword, which means you kill them. In the New Testament, it means the same thing in he, I mean, uh, Romans chapter 13 when it says the government doesn't bear the sword in vain. Sword is used to kill people, not slap you on the hand or fine you or put you in jail. It's to kill people. He said, but you keep the women, children, and animals, you keep them all alive. They, they basically can become your, your slaves or your servants, but you don't kill them. On the other hand, and this one here is the one that really gets people uptight. Because God said to them when they went into the promised land, you are to go in and you to, are to utterly destroy anything that breathes. Man, women, children, animals. Wipe them out. You go, hold it a second. The God of the Bible is a God of love. I totally agree with that. And you know what? He loves his people. You know why I told them to do that? And if you don't catch all the context, you're going to get this really messed up. He said, those people that are in that land, they've already broken the first three of my commandments. They are living in idolatry. They are worshiping idols. They could care less about my name. And their time for judgment has come. Now remember, back in the flood, God used what we would call natural forces to bring that judgment. In this case, he chooses to use the Israelites. He says, I want you to go in and I want you to wipe them out. Why? Because if you don't go in and wipe them out, you are going to pick up their sin. Guess what Israel didn't do? They didn't do what God said. They did not go in and annihilate the people of the land. Didn't take very long until the Israelites were worshiping idols. Over and over again, God warned them. He sent prophets. Did all kinds of things to help them. But they allowed these absolutely idolatrous, false worshipers to live in the land, and they affected the people of God, and they went into idolatry. Finally, God said, that's it. I've had it with you now. You wouldn't do what I asked you to do? Now I'm going to judge you, and I am going to use some totally pagan nations to judge you. So he uses Assyria and Babylon and Persia. Uh, he uses all of them to judge the children of Israel. And you know what the judgment was? He took them all out of the land. He just said, I promise you this land, you didn't do what I said, I'm taking you out. Israel doesn't have a problem with idolatry anymore because they got cured. They got a lot of other problems, but, but not that one. The point is, God has a plan and he judges sin. He can judge it supernaturally or he can use people. In this case, he used people and that's not murder. Now, if you went into another city and you just said, we're going to go in and wipe you out. Yeah, that would be unjust. So what about the consequences of reckless action? We have those kinds of things in our law, too. It's like manslaughter and third degree murder and stuff like that. 
The point is, and I use this one many times when we talk about abortion, because it absolutely makes it clear that an unborn baby, in this case just born and maybe born dead, uh, is a human being. In the image of God, valuable. Two men are having a fight. In the process of the fight, uh, they bump into really hard a lady who's pregnant. She has a miscarriage. Well, if that's all that happens, his husband is paid a fine. The other guy has to pay it. On the other hand, if the baby or the woman dies, there's a penalty. Life for life. Reckless action. And then it goes on, and you know all the rest of it, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, etc. Point is, it was a reckless action. And it's treated murder-like. It's not exactly murder, but it is because you didn't purposely do it. But you were reckless. Kind of goes on. Now, if you take the word ox here and put in here, mean dog, you'll get an idea of what we're talking about here. A vicious dog. Somebody has a dog that's known to go bite people. He said, if you have an oxen and it gores somebody, you kill the oxen, um, but the owner goes unpunished. But if there's an oxen that the owner knows has been going around goring people, goring other oxen, and you don't do something about it, and they kill a man or a woman, he says, the ox gets stoned. And the owner shall also be put to death. Why? Because you were reckless. You didn't personally meditate to do it. You didn't make plans to do it, but you didn't prevent it. The next one, I, I used to work construction, so I appreciate the next one. They didn't have ADA rules and they didn't have OSHA back then, but they had God's rules. You know they had houses with a flat roof. It says when you build a new house and you don't put a railing around it, a, pa- a paparat, uh, you don't put that around and somebody falls off, you were negligent. So yeah, they had OSHA rules back then. You know, you need to take care of people. You need to make sure that you are not reckless in your dealings with other people. He said, there's blood guilt brought upon you. Why? Not because you purposely killed somebody, but you didn't do what you could do to prevent it. I tell you what, the law is pretty harsh, pretty straightforward. What about, what about self-defense? Not a whole lot in the Bible about that, but this one passage here makes it pretty clear. I don't ever want to be involved in defending myself or defending my loved ones or defending you. I will do it if I need to, but I don't ever want to. But the Bible makes it clear here that there are those possibilities for self-defense. He says, and this is in the days before electricity and lights and, you know, all those kinds of things. But it says, if in the middle of the night a thief breaks into your house, it's pitch dark, and you kill him, you're not guilty. On the other hand, if he's coming in, you see him carrying out your TV set <laughs> and uh, your whatever else, and you see him, and you shoot him then, you're in big trouble. Why? 
because you can identify him, you can take him to court, you can get him to pay back. In fact, is if he can't pay back, you can have him sold into slavery. You see, it's the last line of defense. It's not the first one. That's why I say when I talk to people about self-defense, I'm not against it. But I don't want anybody that is just not right in the head and has really bad thinking and to, to be defending anybody because you're going to violate biblical principle. Vengeance is never a viable option. And he, he makes it clear in the Old Testament. We're going to see it even more in the New Testament. But it says, you know what? You are not to hate your countrymen. You may reprove him, but you should never, ever, ever incur sin because of him. Somebody does you wrong, you have the right to tell them they're wrong. But you don't have the right to sin against them. You don't take vengeance nor bear any grudge. I started with that one. Vengeance and grudges are never to be a part of our life. The death penalty. People say today, you know, the death penalty is a horrible thing. It's cruel and unusual. And they, they make it like supposed to be humane. By the way, killing somebody is never humane. I don't care how you do it. But the point is, biblically, it was a public event. It has a deterrent. Deters the person, he'll never kill somebody again. And other people go, whoa, I don't want to be that person. In fact, is the part in red is quoted in Galatians about Jesus Christ and when he was hanging on the cross. Because they would hang a person up, they would stone him to death or whatever it was in that case, and then they would hang him up, but you couldn't let him hang there to the next day. You had to take him down and bury him. But when you did that, you showed God's displeasure with that person's murderous actions. There were all kinds of other things that had a death penalty, capital punishment attached to them. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on a few of these we already have, like reckless disregard for safety and out-of-control children. That was last week. Uh, kidnapping, stealing people. The next three are sexual sins. And then the last two, the occult and idolatry. We already touched on that one. Let's get to the New Testament. Yes. We live in grace and mercy. Thank you, Will, for the mercy stuff. But you know what? The standard in the New Testament, just like all the rest of the commandments, the laws down here. Thou shalt not murder. The New Testament, I can't reach high enough for how much higher the standard is. Because in the New Testament, it says that you commit murder if you are angry with your brother. You'll be liable to the court. You'll be guilty if you call your brother a good-for-nothing. You've ruined their reputation. You've maybe ruined their business. In other words, he says, if you say to somebody else, you're just a fool. He said, this gets really, he says, you're guilty enough to go to the fiery hell. That's the word hell. It's Gehenna. That's exactly what it means, the lake of fire. That's what it is. The standard is so much higher. Notice, nobody, nobody gets, nobody, no blood, not one drop of blood is shed here. 
But he says, you're guilty. You're guilty because you're angry because of the words you say towards someone else. Think about that. You don't have to beat somebody over the head or shoot them or stab them or whatever else. No. It's your heart. It's your mind and your heart. But it continues on. It's, and this is the one I usually go to in First John because it says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Not might be a murderer. Is a murderer. And he goes on to say, That is absolutely not the sign of someone who has eternal life in them. Wow. Think about that. I'm angry with my brother. I'm liable to the court. I absolutely hate someone. I'm a murderer. That's what the New Testament says. I'm glad we have mercy and grace and forgiveness and all those things. But the standard is so much higher. In fact, is it also gives us one additional reason why people murder. And they say that's because you lust and don't have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You have not because you ask not. He's saying, you're trusting yourself. You're trying to do it your own way instead of doing it my way. Come to me. Got a problem? Got a beef with somebody? Got vengeance? Got a grudge? Hate somebody? Angry with them? Come to me. I'm the one that can give what you need. It won't work otherwise. Makes it very clear. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. This follows where it talks about the government. But he says, we're to owe nothing to anyone except to love our neighbor. Because when we love our neighbor, the law is fulfilled. He sums it up one more time. You, you notice that keeps coming up and can be coming up. And people say, well, the God of the New Testament was the God of love. And the God of the Old Testament was, you know, God of vengeance and war and wrath and murder. Or not murder, but killing and that kind of thing. No, the quote is from the Old Testament. Remember, the quote is from the Old Testament. One last thing. We live under the law of liberty. Simply says this, well, I'm, I never murdered anybody. But he may be told a lie. He says, when you break one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. If you get arrested for speeding or running a stop sign, you are a lawbreaker in Pennsylvania. You know, it doesn't say, I'm one lawbreaker in Pennsylvania. No, you're a lawbreaker in Pennsylvania. That's what he says about the law. He said, but we are judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty says I use the right, the power, and the authority given to me for the good of other people. It's way, way higher than anything in the Old Testament. Just to be clear, I said the principles were before the the law and after the law. Jesus, when they wanted to crucify him, uh, they said, we're not permitted, the Jewish people, semi-autonomous nation, they said, we're not permitted to put anyone to death. They could do any other thing to somebody that broke the law in Israel, except put them to death. That's why they had to turn Jesus over to the Romans. But Jesus didn't say, well, you don't have the right to put anybody to death. He didn't say that. And the apostle Paul, when they put him on trial, he said, if I've committed anything worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. And we already saw the government does not bear the sword in vain. So where do we go from this? Here's what I propose. This is the good part of the sermon. 
This is the one that steps on your toes really big. These others you can say, that's eh, kind of theory. It doesn't really affect me. You have somebody you're holding a grudge against? Somebody you're really angry with? How about somebody you hate? Go home. Get on your knees. Ask the Lord for mercy. Ask Him to forgive you. And then get on the phone. Get in your car. Go to that person and just pour out your heart. Confess that you're wrong. You see, we live at a higher level. The world needs to see people who live at a higher level. That's me and you. Don't expect that from anybody else. Expect it from yourself. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. If you're angry at your brother, you're liable before the court. God holds us, His children, those that have trusted Him as their Savior, He holds us at a high standard. Don't wreck your own life by holding grudges or taking vengeance, holding things over people's heads. No, get it straightened out. So you can live under the law of liberty. Live above the minimum. Live up here. Let your light shine. That they may see your good works. They may see your life. And glorify your Father in heaven. Whatever you need to do, please. Don't let this kind of stuff fester in your life. You may not murder that person. But it might be a whole lot like it because, let's face it, if you hold a grudge or you're angry or you hate, you will do some pretty despicable things. Please, get it right before God. Get it right before others. Let's all stand together as we close. Father, this is not an easy sermon. It's not the kind of thing I would like to preach on a whole lot. But Lord, your word is clear. Life is valuable. All people are in the image of your Son and in your image. And I pray that we would live as those who have been redeemed, those who have been forgiven, those that have been shown grace and mercy. And Father, we would not allow things to build up in our life that ruin our lives and have the great potential to ruin other people's lives. Lord, Thank you for showing us that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.